Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey guys, Ryan here. And before we get to this week's interview, I want to take just a moment to speak up and speak out. I don't care who you are, where you come from, your political leanings, religious beliefs, your personal principles or values, or what color your skin is. Right now, we have a chance to support and stand by our fellow human beings who have suffered great loss, bigotry, hate, racism, and murder for many, many years, both in other countries, but particularly here in the United States. Somewhere in the Skies stands proudly with our Black listeners, supporters, and Black communities. It's time for the rest of us to listen and to learn and to be an ally more than ever. So to learn more and to begin your support, visit BlackLivesMatter.com or NAACP.com. There's also a list in the show notes of hundreds of organizations that help Black communities, Black lives, and people of color. Thanks for taking the time to listen, and I hope you enjoy the show. Today on Somewhere in the Skies, we speak to author and journalist Mike DeMonte. The paranormal really isn't that weird. It's just only we've changed. You know, society has changed, culture has changed, how we view things has changed. Years ago, this really wasn't weird to some people. So I want us to kind of go back to that idea that it's okay to accept some of these weirder elements that we may have been told that there's no way this can exist because at one point uh, people believed it to be true. And and maybe it is. And maybe this whole time it's been hiding, hiding in, in silence or it lives through our pop culture. Who knows? This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague. Mythological gods, dragons, magicians, interdimensional beings, UFOs, goblins, secret government programs, and psychic abilities. Punk Rock and UFOs, Stranger Than Fiction, is the third installment in the Punk Rock and UFOs book series, and it aims to normalize the paranormal through current pop culture, mythology, fiction, and its connection to unexplained phenomena. The book features insights and exclusive interviews from around the world of academia, journalism, television and film, pop culture, science, and UFO studies. The aim of the book is to use current, real-life events and connect them to fictional examples that appear in pop culture, which will hopefully bridge the gap between fiction and non-fiction, as well as help show people that the paranormal isn't really all that unbelievable. Here's our interview with the author, Mike DeMonte. Mike DeMonte, how's it going, buddy? Good. Uh, great to see you. It's always good to be on the show and just, just talk to you. Yes. Yeah. Since you only get to do this in person. <laughs> I know. Someday, someday. Someday we will make it happen. Um, we didn't have you on the show. Not We we had you, I should say, on the show not too long ago. Um, this is right when the pandemic had sort of started, I think. But a lot has happened since then. So I kind of wanted to catch up with you um, before we even talk about why you're really here to talk about your new book, Stranger Than Fiction. Your thoughts on everything going on in the UFO world right now. I mean, we've got uh, the official release of the Navy videos from the DOD. I don't think that it hit before we last spoke. So, yeah, where do you stand on this, man? The DOD finally acknowledging these videos that we've been debating for almost three years now. I forgot, like I mentioned this yesterday when I was on Denny Geek with Alejandro. Um, someone mentioned it, I forgot who it was exactly, but they said, like, what if this was the disclosure that we're, we're supposed to get? Is that, is that enough? 
And I was like, honestly, if you look at it at face value, I mean, it should be the fact that they're admitting, they're basically admitting that not only the video is real, but the phenomenon itself is real. I mean, we, we, we've had, we've never seen anything like that. Um, so I think if that is the disclosure, you know, we were getting from to the stars or the Pentagon or whatever, uh, so be it. I think that's great. You know, if that's all it is, I think it's historic, you know, but I know people will always want more, but I think, you know, especially the, the week it came out too, I think it was strategically uh, happened during COVID because they wanted it to be buried and it kind of backfired because it was a big story, surprisingly. Yeah. It really, it really took, took control of a lot of the, uh, the, the outlets and the, the media. So yeah, that was, that was crazy. I kind of backfired on the Pentagon. It was interesting. I think a lot of people feel like uh, they did that on purpose, tried to bury it in there and to sort of, um, you know, take control of it. Like, yeah, the videos leaked a while ago, but we're officially releasing these like we're we're acknowledging it. And it's like, yeah, you're about three years too late. But um, <laughs> but I think you're right, man. I think this could be the disclosure we're living in, whether it continues or not, is uh, I really think up to the observers who see these things, report UFOs. I mean, one of which is in the chat right now, Gary Voorhees, was one of the men <laughs> during the Nimitz event. So a big hello to Gary. I've got hey, some uh, really exciting news to share about Gary and some stuff we're working on in the near future. But um, thanks for joining us, Gary. But yeah, man, so the real reason I have you here today is to talk about Stranger Than Fiction, your, your sort of, uh, I guess, your Return of the Jedi of your trilogy, as it were, a punk rock and UFO. So, um, yeah, before we kind of dive into, I want to focus on a couple chapters that I really found interesting in the book. Um, but before we do that, could you co- sort of give us like a summary? What is this book about and uh, what makes it different from the first two in punk rock and UFOs? So this book, it's almost like, you know, it's kind of like, you know, the trilogy in the sense where, you know, you always wanted to kind of come to an end in a sense. Like, I'm not saying I'm never going to write a UFO book again, but I wanted to do something different. I feel like so many UFO cases and so many stories have just been beaten to death. So I really want to do something um, unique. And this is basically building off of the previous books. So when I started with this one, you know, I started with the previous ones, like, you know, True Believers, I really wanted to kind of focus on, you know, some of the people who are doing the great work in the UFO community and researching and also to try to kind of bridge that gap between the common person to try to get interested in this topic in the first place. This book is basically the idea behind it is to try to normalize the idea of paranormal, uh, just to realize that, you know, it's really not that weird. You know, some of the stuff that we study, even the more far out stuff like consciousness and, you know, cryptozoology and, you know, near death experiences, all, all these things are, are rooted in, in some truth. And a lot of uh, fictional uh, stories throughout the years, whether it's through myths, folklore, comic books, pop culture, have mirrored that. So they, they, the aim of the book is to basically normalize paranormal. And I, I use a lot of, current pop culture examples, as well as um, some things in the, the current events and, you know, kind of in our field as, as well. So, yeah, that's, that's basically the focus of the book. And I really wanted to do a deeper dive than I've done in my previous books. Previous books are a little bit more concise. This one, I really wanted to kind of almost approach it like more scholarly, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think you really stretch your muscles with this one. I mean, just from what I've read so far of it, I mean, it was like blowing my mind, man. And there's some of that stuff we'll get into because I, I think it is a departure from your earlier two works, but it also also builds off of them a lot. And um, that really spoke to me in chapter two of the book. I love this title, To the Stars Wars. That That's a little hard to say. I'm not going to lie. Very witty title and for obvious reasons to the stars. But um, you kind of start the chapter with talking about something that uh, one of our past guests Robbie Graham is kind of known for, and that's how Hollywood mixes with UFOs, the media in general, I would say. And um, you start the chapter off talking about how we have all these alien-themed movies that come out, and it's always some sort of invasion, and the humans always win in the end. So I'm really fascinated to uh, to see you take this route right from the start in the beginning of the book. And um, could you maybe give us a little idea of what you were going for when it came to starting the book this way? Well, yeah, this is the second chapter. And second. I really wanted to introduce kind of, you know, the second chapter really d- dives deep into kind of what we we're seeing right now, you know, with the, the Nimitz and the, the Tic Tac UFO and all those. Um, it's, well, but I wanted to kind of go back to some science fiction movies and as well, and just kind of, you know, this idea that in all of these 
films that, you know, the humans always, you know, we, we always persevere. And yeah, I really think that helps with the, the potential threat narrative, you know? So it's like, it's this idea that we've, we're accustomed to in our pop culture of UFOs and alien invasions. But so maybe we shouldn't be uncomfortable with the truth, you know, since we've seen these films and, you know, we always win, but we know in reality, that probably wouldn't be the case. Kind of wanted to introduce that because like I said, I want to, you know, I want the average person, the non-UFO person to read the book too and kind of get an idea. And if they can make that connection between, oh yeah, I saw Independence Day and uh, if they can make that connection to that and kind of with the, some of the real life cases for sure. Well, yeah. And I mean, one of those real life cases that I'm sure we'll talk about a few times tonight is the Tic Tac UFO event. I mean, where we have Navy pilots and people on the ground saying they can't identify these things we're seeing. They outmaneuvered our most sophisticated fighter jets. So, I mean, now that we have current UFO cases talking about uh, how technologically advanced these phenomena seem to be, uh, do you think we're going to start to see more of these movies coming out with aliens and humans um, being in control and being on top and, I guess, winning, as it were? Well, yeah, it's weird. It's like, you know, life reflects art and art reflects life. It's kind of like symbiotic in a sense. I, I think we will. Um, I don't know if it's part of any, you know, anything that was mapped out for this to come out. But uh, I mean, I think if you look at even some of our non-alien invasion movies, I mean, these themes are in everything. You know, right now we're rewatching all the Marvel films chronologically during quarantine because it's something to do. And there's so many things that I, I didn't catch that I should have, that I could have included in my book. But like part of it is like, you know, if you read that book and you go watch that movie and you say, oh, wait a minute, this Marvel movie is referencing something I've read before, you know, something a biologist tried or a scientist tried or, or something else. You know, that's kind of the goal. I want someone to make their own connections as well. Yeah. One of the really interesting things in this chapter too, Mike, that I found was um, this term called camouflage through limited disclosure. Um, yeah. Could you maybe tell us a little about the guy who said this? I'm sure a lot of the people in the UFO field know who this person is. But yeah, what did you mean by this term, camouflage through limited disclosure? Well, I had to mention, because it's one of my favorite books, and we've discussed this before, The Day After Roswell by Philip Corso. And uh, for those who don't know, Philip Corso is an ex-Pentagon official uh, whose job was allegedly after Roswell was to take crashed tech and then uh, pass it along to private enterprises and then for them to try to reverse engineer it. And a lot of people believe that was uh, that attributed to the technology boom we saw around that time. So that quote comes from him. And uh, I mean, think about it. You know, this is something that, I mean, this isn't a new idea. You know, the city of limited disclosure, you know, um, and if you look at it through the, the films that were made in the 80s and, you know, Close Encounters and E.T. and, you know, allegedly those were, you know, uh, people uh, who made the films consulted with some government officials. So I think it's all part of that, you know, that idea that um, fiction and nonfiction kind of work hand in hand at times. Yeah, I would have to agree. And I mean, probably one of the most visible companies doing that right now, trying to disclose through arts and entertainment is to the stars, mm -hmm. uh, to the Stars Academy of Arts and Entertainment. And uh, you spoke to several individuals connected with some of the television properties that To the Stars is putting out on History Channel, uh, soon to be on, what was it, TBS, I believe? TBS, yeah. Yeah. Um, would you mind maybe running us through a little what it was like talking to these guys and uh, maybe what their goal or mission is with getting this stuff out to the public? Well, so so part of that was talking to not just people associated with the, the To the Stars properties, but just in general, um, you know, major television producers, uh, some of which that you've worked with as well. Um, just their approach to these shows and, you know, wh why why they do them and kind of how they, uh, the cultural effect it has. So I wanted to kind of reach out to everyone. Uh, Stan Spry was one of the guys I reached out to because he's he's producing uh, Tom DeLonge's uh, Monsters of California, which no one really knows much about. Um, he thought Stan Spry also produced uh, the Creepshow reboot. that was It's on AMC right now. It's on Shudder. But, I mean, basically, he's really brought into this idea that, you know, he's on board with, you know, that they're helping disclose some of this information through these fictional properties, which I know, you know, this is something they discussed from the very beginning. And I know a lot of people, you know, were opposed to that. And I, I get that. I get that skepticism. But it's like, you know, if you look back through history and, you know, from, you know, from the, not just history as we know it, but just humanities and um, other studies, it's like the lines have been blurred the whole time. You know, this isn't a new idea. This is this isn't something that needs to be, you know, vilified. This is, happens all the time. 
Yeah, that's a really good point. And um, I mean, sort of circling back to, I guess, to the Stars Academy. I know it always comes back to them somehow. I want to get your thoughts on this. You spoke about this in the book as well. Uh, this cooperation between to the Stars and the Army. I mean, the Navy's one thing. You know, yeah. to the Stars sort of had this chain effect, whether it was through the New York Times articles or their television shows, of kind of pressuring the Navy to mm-hmm. start to be vocal about this and even you know, update their reporting protocol on UFOs by speaking to senators and members of Congress. I mean, it's crazy to think of what this company has been able to achieve in the amount of time they've been around. But now we have the Army, and they're actually working with the Army on something. So could you maybe clue us in on what is this company to the stars doing with the Army? And do you think this is good? I mean, is is this going to, are we going to ever know what they're actually working on? I mean, who knows, you know, if we're ever going to know, but I think a lot of people, detractors like to, they like to marginalize some of the, some of the advances that to the stars has done. And this is something that they kind of scoff at. And it's like, this is kind of a big deal, you know, whether we get to know or not, but the fact that potentially, you know, uh, to the stars now has their lab, whether it's the fact that the government's, it's a government lab or not, you know, it's something, you know, we talked about too, that to the stars is a very small company, even though they have a lot of people with huge resumes and, uh, big egos and um, uh, a lot of experience are still a very small company. So now they actually have the facilities to try to do these things that they were teasing doing the very beginning. Like I remember the first things they teased was like a spaceship, you know, it's like, who knows if they're gonna be able to build that, but if they could at least try to work towards something like that, now maybe they have a mechanism to do so, which they didn't have before. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, and a lot of it comes down to funding. Let's be completely honest. I mean, I would assume the Army has unlimited funds when it comes to R&D and, um, you know, advanced propulsion or weaponry, whatever the heck they're working on. So, you know what, if this is how we're going to get those small disclosures, as it were, then um, I'm all for it. And as long as they're working in cooperation and the public is actually privy to what they're doing uh, to an extent, I think it'll be pretty interesting to see where that all goes. But um, now, last question concerning to the stars, I promise, my man. We got Tom DeLong, the guy who we really haven't heard a lot from Mm -hmm. since the company started. uh, A few interviews at the beginning, and then they kind of uh, of shut him up for a while. Um, you were actually able to get quotes from DeLong himself for the book. And um, kudos, man. It is I can't imagine that was easy, but how did that opportunity come about? And uh, what about what he said really resonated for you to uh, put it in the book? Um, so, uh, you know, it's hard. You know, like, you know, they've been very selective of who they've dealt with in terms of press ever since they started. I thought, you know, at first it was obviously mainstream outlets because – I mean, that was the way to go. I, I don't think the UFO community was ever on their radar in terms of people that they want, needed to answer to or appease. Um, but I mean, lately they've been, they've been a lot more open towards, you know, doing, um, you know, more stuff. You know, you've seen uh, Chris Mellon on Twitter answering questions, which is really cool. I mean, this is the stuff that UFO, you know, Twitter and UFO fans have been wanting to hear for a long time. So it's really cool that they're being a little bit more open now to some of these things. And maybe they're allowed to now. Maybe there was reasons why they couldn't. Have, who knows? Um, but the, the opportunity, you know, that Tom, I was able to get a quote from Tom for my book was uh, something I've been working on for a long time. You know, we talked about this in the past. I used to do journalism full time for Houston Chronicle. I've interviewed Tom before I met him. I sat down with him in the past to do like music interviews. So I've always had a working relationship with the people who handled them. But that all changed when To the Stars happened. Um, when I was pitching the idea, you know, the, the, to the book to them, what I was doing, hey, you know, who I already have on board. I think that's what they looked at and they looked at the scope of the book. And my, you know, quote was, was regarding secret machines. And I thought, you know, I told them, you know, this would really help, you know, kind of make the point I was trying to make as well. And uh, they were down and I was, I was very, uh, very happy that they were down. Tom gave a great quote and I, I know he was really busy. And I just asked if they could email it to me. You know, I wasn't trying to, you know, get them on the phone or anything like that. Like whatever I can take, I'll take. And I know that was a really busy week for them too. Cause when, I was waiting for that quote from the book. He was doing a lot of uh, radio because Angel Airwaves just dropped a new song and COVID was happening. So he had a lot, they had a lot of downtime. So it was right place, right time. And uh, it's a great quote. Um, you know, and this quote basically talks about, you know, having uh, two different franchises with secret machines, the fiction and the uh, nonfiction element. And that was basically, you know, it really ties to the idea that I'm kind of pushing in the book that 
this has been happening, you know, from the beginning of time. This isn't a new idea that fiction and nonfiction sometimes intersect. And so having, having, you know, Tom's quote in the book, you know, as well as Peter Lavenda, uh, Kevin Day, and, you know, quite a, quite a few other people who've been involved, you know, to the star stuff. I've been, I mean, it means the world to me, you know, growing up fan of Tom and it really, really completes the book, I thought. Yeah, I, as a fellow Blink 182 slash Angels and Airwaves fan, I, I can only imagine it. That That's awesome, man. Um, well, I mean, sort of that idea of truth and fiction or um, fact and fiction blending, you that really came across in chapter four of your book, which was by far my favorite chapter in the mm-hmm. entire book. Um, I mean, some of the names you mentioned... Jeffrey Kripal was involved, um, a bunch of other people. And you start the chapter with a really good quote by Jeffrey Kripal. So I was wondering if maybe you could give us an idea of who this guy is and um, and what that quote meant to you to put it at the beginning of the chapter. So Jeffrey Kripal is probably, in my opinion, I've said this before, probably one of the most underrated people when it comes to the paranormal and UFOs. And he, he's just very he's nonchalant about it, too. It's like, and I met him a couple of years ago when I interviewed him for my last book. And since then, I've kind of befriended him. I did the story. I think last time I was on, we talked about the um, the archives that he's housing at Rice University in Houston. And for those who don't know, he's basically getting incre- just incredible uh, collection of documents from the, the CIA. The, the, well, not, it's not from the CIA. I don't want to say that. <laughs> uh, but basically, you know, from like the certain experiments that were done from different scientists did, as well as um, all the notes from Jacques Vallée. Whitley Shriver, all that stuff that he's getting housed in there. So he he is a professor of religious studies. Uh, he's an expert at the paranormal. Uh, he's been studying this stuff for years. Uh, but he, you know, he's on the more of the humanity side. You know, he's not the nuts and bolts, you know, UFO guy. He's the, I mean, he's one of those guys who's basically, you know, the future of ufology is going towards, you know, more spiritualism and consciousness. And he's one of those guys who for years have been writing about the, the weirder elements of it. So, yeah, I started off with a quote. I think the quote I used was uh, to start that chapter was, right, which one was it, the one about uh, the Bible is full of what we refer to as paranormal stories? Was yes. That yep, that yeah. was it. And he's a professor of religious studies as well. So and he's had his own experiences, too, and he's absolutely genius. But I, I think that quote really hits home because it's, it's true. You know, if you were to present, you know, the, the stories that you read in the Bible, to them, that was life. It wasn't what we, we call paranormal. <laughs> you know, so somewhere... I'm not saying every story in there is true, but somewhere between then and now, something's changed with how we view this and our reality in general has changed. Absolutely. Yeah. And the word God is probably going to come up a lot in this conversation. And that's what I love about this topic is um, we seem to be moving into this really interesting age of UFO discourse in mixing it with religion. I mean, people like Diana Pasolka have written about this extensively and people have been talking about this for a really long time too and um i thought it was really interesting another person that you got to contribute to this chapter was like you mentioned peter lavenda who has worked with tom delon on the secret machines books the uh the non-fiction books am i correct um now i remember i don't remember which of the books it was in but this idea of the cargo cult i think this was the first book that came out okay um could you maybe describe what that is to our audience, because I had never even heard of it before I read the book, and I feel like a bad ufologist because of that. But yeah, maybe um, run us through what Cargo Cult is and why it plays such a big role in what um, Lavenda is talking about with UFOs. So in general, it's the idea of a Cargo Cult is when a, a civilization, and I'm going to say uncivilized, but when an unindustrialized civilization um, kind of discovers a technology for the first time. That is like the basis of it. But in terms of how it's applied to ufology and as well, um, it, it's almost looked at, I mean, if you look at the ancient astronaut theory, it kind of takes that idea that, you know, what if a, a society that's never seen an aircraft before, they see an aircraft all of a sudden, what are they going to associate it with? One civilization or culture may think it's a dragon. One may think it's a giant bird because they've never seen it before. So what Peter Lavenda does in the first uh, Secret Machines book, Gods, is he basically takes that and he really dissects it in a way that's never, that's really has been done before. He almost... Uh, takes what uh, Zachariah Sitchin and Eric Von Daniken did and really approaches it from a more uh, academic manner, if that makes sense. Um, it's, it's less that everything is aliens to more of um, let's really get to the bottom of what these cultures believe and what they potentially saw. So that's his angle. Yeah, and I mean, I remember speaking to Micah Hanks not too long ago about this whole 
idea that UFOs throughout time and how they've been perceived. And it really does depend on the culture viewing it. I mean, if you're if you're back in the days of antiquity and you see a flying wheel in the sky, like you're probably going to think it's a god or something like that. Or you see these flying shields in the sky during the time of war. This could be a um, aberration or a, a sign of bad things to come. So it is really interesting to see throughout time how possibly the UFO phenomenon has been perceived. One of the quotes that was in this chapter, um, it came from you. And you said that Secret Machines Man by Lavenda and DeLong is a good representation of what to the Stars Academy of Arts and Science is looking to ultimately achieve, which is to inspire a new generation to reevaluate and reimagine science, society, and humanity. I mean, that kind of says it all right there. They're kind of, um, they're taking what we, we've all been talking about for so long and trying to bring it to a new generation. So, yeah, what did that quote mean to you? Uh, I mean, I just wanted to kind of just summarize not only that book, but I thought that book was a good, or those books in general, both the Secret Machines books, just in good in general, if they're overall, I guess, trajectory. You know, I, I think the goal is, if, if the goal is to get not only a new generation, but more people interested, they've done that in terms of, you know, getting, you know, the, the Pentagon UFO story out there and getting, you know, uh, Leslie Keen and Elaine Cooper and Ralph Blumenthal to report on it and getting all these major outlets to follow, follow suit. So they've done it in, in that case. And if you have books to accompany it and, you know, someone may pick it up because of, you know, maybe they're a fan of Tom or maybe, you know, they're into UFOs like we are and, you know, they may learn something new. I think, I think ultimately, you know, the best thing you can do is get more people involved in the subject and no matter how you do it, uh, I think it could be beneficial. Yeah, absolutely. Another really interesting sort of avenue you took in this chapter was the idea, again, of gods. I I keep coming back to this because this is where a lot of my research is heading right now. You brought up Lavenda talking about how, let's take Jesus, the son of God, for instance, on earth doing these miraculous things, could be considered alien in many different ways. And what do we do to him as humans? We killed him. And you brought up another really interesting analogy that tied to this within the DC Comics universe. So could you maybe tell us a little about uh, what you were trying to say, connecting Jesus to Superman? Please give me that. (laughs) So like the Jesus-Superman connection isn't something that I came up with or it's not anything really new per se, but I was looking at how it was approached in the the films, in the the, uh, Man of Steel to Batman or Superman, Everything Zack Snyder planned for his, his trajectory of those films. Obviously, you know the Snyder cut will get a better idea, but he really he really took the idea of if Superman existed in our society today, how would he be treated? And I mean, it's would he be treated like Jesus was at first, savior? Um, so that was definitely one thing I wanted to kind of you know focus on is that these movies and these comic books have been playing with this idea for for ages. And yeah, it's funny because Batman and Superman really played up to this idea heavily, and the film got you know, I got really bad reviews and people didn't like the tone. But I mean, I think that's that, that was a great take on it because if Superman was to exist in the real world today, he would definitely be vilified. Absolutely. I mean, if you look how we treat people who are different than us all the time, you know, so could you imagine a God coming down, an alien coming down from the sky with godlike abilities? Would he be a threat? Yeah, that's a really good point. And I mean, another interesting observation you made was uh, this idea that the the symbol of Superman You know, we know the S stands for hope, but what I didn't know and what you uncovered is the triangle in which the S is, is a trinity. And we can obviously trace this to Christianity with the the Holy Trinity, as it were. Um, And you bring up even Trinity, which is a DC comic, probably one of my favorites uh, by Matt Wagner. Yeah. And um, I thought that was fascinating to think, again, we can tie God or gods into this modern mythology that we seem to be going through with comic books. And even on top of that, ufology can be a modern mythology as well. So yeah, a lot of interesting tie-ins that you came up with that for sure. Yeah. Like the, the the idea, like the triangle appears everywhere, you know, and just uh, in general, just you people who claim have just seen aliens, they have the triangle symbol on their chest. And is it also coincidence that some UFOs are triangle shaped or some of the shapes apparently on UFOs are triangles and the pyramids and, and all, all the shapes and symbolism, there's definitely a commonality there for sure. And then 
So we see that reflected not just in you know UFO studies. You see that reflected in mythology and religion and in comic books. So it's all kind of somehow tied together. And one of the points I make in the book is that, like, you know, the, these gods, per se, you know, m- maybe they never really died. They're just living on now in a different form, like pop culture. You know, people believe Thor was a real god. Uh, I mean, even, you know, Nordic countries to this day, there, there are statues, you know, celebrating him. And what do we know of Thor? We know of him through Marvel Comics and through the movies. So is that how gods live on now through our pop culture and through our mythology? Yeah, that's a really, really good point. I've never really thought of it that way. Yeah. Oh, Thor. Love him. Love him so much. Probably one of my favorites. What's up, guys? Ryan Sprague here, and I'm just dropping in to remind you about our Patreon campaign. Somewhere in the Skies is always free to consume, but it's not free to create. So if you want to help the show on a monthly basis, we have tons of rewards for you in return including shout-outs on the show and website, bonus content and episodes, and free merch. Want to be my guest or pick a topic for the show? You can do that too. So if you'd like to learn more and to help support the show, visit patreon.com slash skies. Thank you, and keep looking up. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at UH1.com. Oh, all right. Now, this is another turn you take in this this chapter, this beast of a chapter. Wow, man. Oh, I loved it. I loved it. Um, you spoke to Dr. Gregory Shushin, and um, he's one of the leading authorities on near-death experiences. And he made some really interesting connections, and you did as well, with near-death experiences and the quote-unquote alien abduction phenomenon. And we know someone like Leslie Kane is also working in both worlds, UFOs and near-death experiences as well. So yeah, what, what, what did you try to get across when you, uh, when you interviewed this doctor about this? Um, so once again, uh, he's not like a traditional UFO guy, I guess kind of like what we, we'd be considered. But, you know, he has a very rich, vast uh, pool of knowledge about other cultures and, and how they see things, and especially when it comes to some of these phenomena. So uh, I really wanted to reach out to, you know, doctors and more uh, academics, academic professionals and professors, and just to kind of get that, that viewpoint on it, too, because I feel like there's just so much more we can learn just by reading about other cultures and, and how they view things. Uh, I did a whole story on on my website, too, and I just kind of pulled from some of his quotes included in the book, too. And I think it was fascinating. There's him as a bunch of other people who've been doing this stuff for years and just seeing the commonalities between, you know, near-death experiences and other other weird phenomena that are that sound similar to UFO abductions, too. Like, there are all these different phenomena that, that somehow have this common thread. Yeah, I, I know there's one individual in my book that is coming to mind immediately. And that's a guy named Michael Carter. And I remember when I spoke to him on the phone, uh, one of the first things he told me about his abduction experiences, he felt like he was in bed and he floated outside of his body and he could actually like see himself still in bed. And 
boom, right there. That's kind of what a lot of people who've had these near-death experiences have described, looking down at themselves almost, or or feeling like they floated out of the room. So yeah, man, I, I think it's been running in tandem with one another for a really long time. And I just keep hearing more stories about these two phenomena um, probably being connected. Yeah, like, like I was saying earlier, you see this in pop culture. You see this in Doctor Strange in the movie. He astral projects himself multiple times. You know, where did this come from? Did it come from someone's imagination? No, this is based off something that people believe that's possible. Yeah, exactly. Yep. The truth is always uh, <laughs> stranger than fiction, hence the title. Um, well, another person that you quote in the book is a uh, folklorist, uh, Peter Rajowitz. Am I saying that correct? I believe so, yeah. Okay, Rajowitz, um, about the extraordinary encounter continuum hypothesis. Now, you're going to have to explain this one to me, man. What is this hypothesis? And um, yeah, why'd you decide to include it in this chapter? Well, there's so much. To, like, so I included multiple hypotheses, and I don't want to get too much to reveal what it is. So I want the reader to kind of yeah, of course. in terms of um, the context of the rest of the chapter. But like in general, I really did uh, more research for people who have been studying folklore and uh, different different types of phenomena. And I think it's interesting to see that even you know, even our folklore mythology, they're viewed differently too, through different cultures. So um, for sure, like that's something I kind of want the reader to kind of discover on their own when they make those own connections. Because that's like, you know, I think the goal, well, as I said earlier, the goal of the book is, you know, you want people to make their connections themselves. So when they, they, they may read this theory and this idea, they may be able to say, oh, well, how can I apply that to something I study or I believe or something that's happened to me? which I previously thought was this, but now it's this. Exactly. Um, well, one of those places that is getting studied a lot recently has been Skinwalker Ranch. Now, whether it's, um, you know, finding out that a lot of the money from the secret Pentagon UFO program went to studying Skinwalker Ranch, or you look at something like the new owner, Brandon Fugel, and uh, his work right now with the ranch, The I believe the History Channel show, just wrapped up its first season. Um, but yeah, man, you were able to get a lot of people involved with the ranch in one way or another in the book. So can you tell us a little about what it was like tackling Skinwalker Ranch and maybe maybe a little about what you learned uh, in this section of the book? So I think Skinwalker Ranch was something I had to include because one of the things I talk about in the book is this idea of uh, potentially you know multiple universes and parallel universes. And I kind of cover that later on as well. But I mean, think about it. Skinwalker Ranch is like this amusement park, a plethora of paranormal, you know, all these things that it's like a best of, you know, all these things are kind of interested in. So I feel like I had included because, you know, I'm really, you, you give me some background. We may have talked about this last time, but um, I teach full time. And one day we were able to basically teach our coworkers anything we wanted. And I hit them with like everything at once, all the weird stuff, Skinwalker Ranch, uh, Hellier, like you name it, I hit them with. So it's always interesting to kind of, bring these real, the, the more fringe elements, I guess, of, you know, what we study to people who have no idea what we're talking about, uh, just to see their reaction. But um, Skinwalker Ranch always fascinates, like, the average person. Like, it really piques your interest. It's like, wait, what? This place exists? Like, what? Uh, but one of the things uh, yeah, I really wanted to dive deeper is how the ranch is perceived. So I was able to get kind of something a good journalist does. You get balance, right? You get two, multiple sides of the story. And also what potentially could be happening there. And that's some of the things I hypothesize I'm not hypothesis, I'm sorry. Some of the things I theorize myself that I think could be it. Uh, I draw some comparisons to what's happening in Hellier, Kentucky. I think both of them are, are very similar sacred lands where weird stuff happens um, as well. But yeah, I, uh, you know, Travis Taylor was one of the scientists who led the study on, on the history show. Um, I was able to get quotes from him as well as the owner, uh, Brandon Fugel. And it's, it's interesting to see um travis's perspective because you know he's a scientist he's worked for you know, he's worked for the government and he's someone you know on the, on the surface it has kind of a skeptical mind but he's also a science fiction writer so oh i didn't yeah, know that. interesting yeah like, i had no idea until i interviewed him like uh when he did the interview call like he's written multiple science fiction books i had no idea so i think it makes sense for somebody like him who, who's a science guy to be best open-minded because once again there's a fictional component in his head to kind of you know, say, hey, you know what? This this study is maybe not too weird for me to do. Let's let's do some real science on it. And once again, you know, this is they're running into the same problems that NIDS did. That a lot of this phenomenon can't be contained. And that doesn't mean it's it's not true or inaccurate. 
I know a lot of the people in ufology who I really respect, you know, they're the nuts and bolts guys and science is the only way. And um, I've heard this from multiple people. I think Jeffrey Kripal is one of them who said it to me too. And maybe multiple people in the book may have said it to me at some point. And he says, science is good for some things, not for everything. And I was like, that makes a lot of sense because if science may not be the be all end all of what we're studying here, it may not be able to do so. So then we may have to look at, you know, humanities and, Maybe even spiritualism, maybe some of the new age stuff that years ago we would have thought was crazy. You know, maybe we give that some some more uh, more credence now. Yeah, that's it's funny you mentioned that. I mean, throughout the years of my UFO work, I feel like a lot of UFO researchers or people who get into the topic, they start very rigid, very nuts and bolts. Like, I want that craft. I want to like I want trace evidence. I want something I can scientifically explore and that's that's fine that's how it works um and then as you get more steeped in the field it just starts to get weirder which i think the phenomenon that encapsulates the phenomenon itself you sort of get a little glimpse at first and then it just busts wide open and i think you're right i think a lot of people including myself i always brushed aside the weirder aspects or the more high strangeness aspects of the phenomenon, or like you said, the kind of new age mysticism feel to all of it. But I'm telling you, I mean, I'm like, what, 12, 15 years in now into the UFO topic, um, exploring it every day of my life. And I just keep those layers back on of the things I rejected when I first started looking into this topic. So I think you're right. I think we're kind of entering into a new era of um, looking at these things again from a whole different perspective and finding that it probably has a lot more to do with it than we first thought. Yeah, no, I bet you hit the nail on the head. And this is something, you know, you've been researching this for a lot longer than I have. And I was thinking about this the other day, I, you know, like I'm doing, you know, a lot of press for the book and sometimes, you know, you get kind of like, not, you know, like we talking UFOs is great, but when you're doing it and you're entrenched in it, sometimes there's just a lot, you know, people have been doing this for 30 years. Like how do they not get burned out? You know, cause it's so, I mean, like, like, how can you study the same cases over and over and over again and get the same result? So I think it's great that a lot of us are doing things differently now. Uh, Stranger than fiction, I don't want to write another traditional UFO book. I want to do something different. Like when I read your Somewhere in the Skies for the first time, I was like, this is great because it's different. Like your approach was different. And some of the cases you covered were fresh. And I think that's what we need. We need things that are fresh because I feel like some of these cases have been beat to death for years. It's like, you know, how much more can we read about Betty and Barney Hill at this point? You know, you know what I mean? Like it's, it's the same cases over and over again. So I think it's good that a lot of us are trying to do, do things differently. And like I said, in this case, in my book, I really wanted to kind of bring in some fictional elements and say, Hey, look, this, this isn't really too far off. And as well, and I was, you know, I was influenced by some other books that I've read, um, Passport to Magonia by Jack Ballet and Jeffrey Kripal, um, Eaton Some Mystics. Those are two books that do a better job than I do of basically saying, hey, look, this weird stuff intersects with, with reality. They do a way better job of that than I do. But I wanted to kind of tie it into, you know, more of our modern day pop culture and, you know, the stuff that's happening currently. You know, I think the, you know, the stuff that's been dominating the news for, you know, stuff that, you know, we follow with the, the Pentagon UFOs and the Tic Tacs. I think, I mean, that's like something that's current, something everyone's talking about. But you can make parallels to that and maybe something you've seen in a movie before as well. So I really wanted to do do something current and something where even if you don't like UFOs, you like pop culture, you're going to pick it up and you're going to get it. You may learn something about UFOs and cryptozoology and the paranormal. You may go watch Stranger Things and say, oh, wow, I read in Stranger Than Fiction that I had no idea that this was based off a real place where these experiments supposedly happen. Like, that's what I want. I want the reader, you know, to kind of, learn something about what we study as well as learning stuff from the stuff that they're already interested in like star wars or star trek or sabrina the teenage witch or harry potter or any of those you know fictional franchises because they're all based off something that's such a good point i mean i just started watching doctor who uh for the very first time in my life uh yesterday and i'm hooked man i'm like seven episodes in already and already i'm like Oh, why did I deny this for so long? I heard it was about a time traveling doctor. Like, who gives a shit? I didn't even know that it was um about an alien. So right there, I'm like, I don't even know that. I never yeah, he's an alien. The doctor is an alien. Spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't watched Doctor Who for the last what fifty years now or forty years. But something that was brought up in the show is uh, this idea that time is not linear. That the the doctor travels through time and space. And that 
you know, it's wibbly wobbly as he would put it. And uh, that really stuck with me because it got me thinking, okay, this fictional television show, Doctor Who, it's been on for decades and decades. It's got a huge following and people just adore it and they live their lives by it. And I'm, I'm looking at some of the things I'm hearing in the show about, you know, time not being linear and um, not being temporal. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is one of the biggest theories in ufology is how are aliens getting to our planet if they can't travel these vast distances that scientists say are impossible? Bending time, not going literally. But yeah, this idea that now I can even connect Doctor Who, one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen with my current work in ufology. It's, it's, I love it. I love it. It's crazy. Like the more you kind of read about this stuff, the more you start seeing it in these places you wouldn't expect, like children's cartoons, Saturday morning cartoons. Like I've been rewatching the old Justice League Unlimited cartoons in the morning. And every once in a while, like it'll shock me. It's like, wow, I can't believe that they're, they're, they're bringing this up or they're, they're covering this or and it's, you know, for, something from mythology or something from, you know, something a physicist um, studied. So it, it's really cool to see that play out. You know, and even like Saturday morning cartoons that are meant for kids. Yeah, you mentioned Martian Manhunter in the book. You mentioned um, Wonder Woman and the X-Men. Like there's this comic book world we live in. And a lot of people have lived in for a really long time. I think it's these bigger, headier questions that the comics have always sort of had are being amplified in the movies we're seeing because you have young directors getting involved, young writers who are asking new questions of these characters. And I think we're seeing that in the field of ufology as well. Like you said, Betty and Barney Hill, Roswell, Rendlesham, we've heard every explanation possible for these things until you get new people involved. And that's why you have someone like, let's say at the rebel of ufology, Nick Redfern, uh, coming up with alternate theories on the Rendlesham case being a top secret experiment or Roswell being a Russian or um, Japanese experiment on the United States. So if we don't have these alternate theories, um, we're just going to be stuck in a rut, like you said, and we're never going to grow. I believe. It's a great point you made too, about um, these younger writers and directors as well as younger researchers, you know, we're approaching things differently. Uh, but I think it's great. I mean, like I said, you know, we're rewatching all the, the Marvel films right now, and there's something in each film I can point at saying, this is where they got this from. This is where they got this from. So it's, it's all based on either a science or a study, uh, a theory, a, a myth. It's all based on something. And uh, I think one of the quotes I have in the book is, uh, myths lose their power if, if they're not repeated. And that, that was actually one of my favorite comic books, Batman No Man's Land. Um, and I think that's true. I think, you know, when we don't talk and forget about things, they, they become just memories. Right. That's a really, really good point. Um, well, kind of ending the uh, the comic book, I guess, part of this conversation, Mike, uh, you bring up a really interesting thing in a supplemental chapter at the end of the book. And we won't give away too much, but uh, someone who got in contact with you, I remember early on when this first happened, you came to me and you're like, have you ever heard this guy's story? <laughs> and when you shared it with me, I was like, whoa. Maybe could you give us a little idea of who this person was, its connection with Captain America, maybe, and um, why you decided to put this chapter at the end of the book? So I, I did the story on my website years ago, and I was skeptical running it just because it was something that was really is kind of stranger than fiction. But um, somebody at MUFON interviewed him, did a video interview with him years ago. Uh, MUFON really never really did anything with it. I think the guy just released it himself, like on his Vimeo or on his YouTube. And the guy, his name is Don Seidenberg. He reached out to me and he showed me the video, the interview he did and the stuff he, he says allegedly happened. And it's so right away. I was like, this sounds like Captain America's origin story, only with more of a alien twist to it. And I guess I was really skeptical um, of some of the claims of this guy that he said, um, but he was able to back up some of the things that were able to prove who he was and, yeah, you know, he did serve in the military and his health, which was for somebody his age, is very phenomenal. Um, I've, I had doctors and nurses look over it too to make sure everything was okay and um, as well. So basically, it's his origin. You know, his story is you know he alleges that uh, he was a test subject kind of right around kind of right around Roswell time, um, mm -hmm. and he was get, given the serum, and it almost sounds like the super serum that Captain America takes. Only in this case, I mean, he can get super strength or those abilities, but it was, it, he was able to 
uh, his cognition um, improved and uh, he, he's aged very gracefully. So it's, and there's some other elements to his story, like I said, that are more science fiction too. But right away, you know, I was like, man, this is, this is crazy. But he was very sincere um, as well. So, you know what, if he's pulling a hoax, who knows? Uh, we don't know that. But I really wanted to include his story as a bonus because I think it really, I wanted the reader to read it and decide and to go back to say, hey, you know what, is this fiction or is this fact or, or is this, you know, what is this? Is this a, a, a sweet old man who's telling the truth or, or whatever? But yeah, I definitely wanted to include it as a bonus chapter in, in the book because I thought it would, it really ties in this idea of stranger than fiction. And this is a story that is stranger than fiction. And I, I want the reader to decide, hey, do you believe this guy or not? Yeah, I think that's a kind of a good way to encapsulate the whole book is this um, this idea of blurred lines. So um, kind of wrapping up the conversation on the book, Mike, what do you want readers to really take away from not only Stranger Than Fiction, but this trilogy of books that you've written? They're, they're unlike anything else, I think, that's ever been written on the UFO topic. You took a very clear, journalistic, and very challenging approach to the phenomenon. It wasn't just, here's a case on this date, it happened, cool. Like you really got in there and tried to look at it from every angle. So yeah, what what is Punk Rock in UFOs, this trilogy of books, and why should uh, why should people buy the books, man? So the general idea was, you know, behind the title Punk Rock and UFOs was the I'm sorry, I'm laughing at some of the comments. Are really fun. I'm sorry, I'm for a second. <laughs> no, I'm I'm look, looking at them too. <laughs> so the idea was, Dave Altman. <laughs> <laughs> so the idea was, you know, the, the behind the punk rock element is not necessarily the music, but the rebellious nature. How we rebel against certain beliefs that you know were are kind of forced upon us, and what we believe in from the start. So that was the general idea around it. With this book. I, mean, I build on the other books, but this is the book to get um, because it really builds on what started in the, in the first two books. You know, the first one was about rebelling against these beliefs. The second one was about trying to find commonality between UFO people and, you know, the common populace. And this one is really just trying to normalize the idea of the paranormal. So if the average person, you know, reads a comic book or, you know, sees a movie or a science fiction movie, and then they go back and read their, uh, their Greek mythology and they make a connection or they read a UFO study and they make a connection to maybe something they've seen in the movie. And then they realize kind of, hey, look, these fictional components are, there's some, oh, some nonfiction as well. So um, all throughout time, this has been happening. I really want the, the reader to take that home, that, hey, you know what, the paranormal really isn't that weird. It's just only, uh, we've changed. You know, a society changed, culture changed, how we view things has changed. Years ago, this really wasn't weird to some people. But nowadays, you know, this is, you know, our society is totally different. So I want us to kind of go back to that idea that, you know, it's okay to accept some of these weird elements that we may have been told that there's no way this can exist because at one point uh, people believed it to be true. And, and maybe it is, and maybe this whole time it's been hiding, hiding in, in silence or it lives through our pop culture. Who knows? Yeah, absolutely. It just, it just keeps going. I think. Um, well, in writing these three books, Mike, I got to ask you as an author and, um, someone who's interviewed people in every walk of life about UFOs now. Um, do you think you're any closer to getting answers or what, what is the end goal with um, exploring this mystery? I know each of us has our own reasons for getting into this stuff, but yeah. Where do you stand today after three books of dissecting this mystery and um, where'd you come out on the other side? You know, it's great because we talked about this earlier, how when you first get into this stuff, you want the, the nuts and bolts, you know, you want the proof, you want the, the hard evidence. But the more you realize, you know, the more you study it, the more you realize that that may not be attainable or in the way that, you know, traditionally science attains it. So, you know, you start opening up your mind more to some of you know, the, you know, what was once considered the fringe elements of what we study as well. So, you know, it's where I was when I was writing this book, when I finished it. It's like, what else can I say about UFOs at this point? Like, I'm not saying I'm not going to write a book ever again, but I'm like, if this is the last book I wrote on the subject, then great. It's a great way to go out. I mean, it doesn't mean I'm going to stop, you know, doing interviews and stories on punkrockindiafoes.com because the subject is still super interesting. But I really wanted this book to be different and um, definitely take a different uh, approach to it. Because like I, you know, I was saying earlier, you know, there's, there's only so much we can do about these these, these cases and that we've that been beat to death for years. So I think it's, you know, this was my way of putting everything that I've previously done and, you know, as well as, looking at something new and uh yeah like yeah after writing the book i was like well what else can i say at this point i feel like i've said everything 
I can say so far, you know, who knows I may change five years from now, but it's like, I felt, you know, I feel like if I was to write a book again about UFOs, this would be a great way to go out. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it was a, it was a good cap on everything that you theorized from the very beginning up until now. And of course, like the journey's never done. The books will continue. The research will continue. And I know your work will continue over at Punk Rock and UFO. So I got to ask you, what comes next for the website? Are you working on anything over there? Or I would assume the book has been taken up most of your time. But yeah, what's next for Punk Rock and UFOs? Um, the book's been taking up a lot of the time, for sure. Um, just I mean, You know how it is when a book's about to launch and working on it. You know, writing the book's the easy part. That's that, that, To me, that is the easy part. It's the you know, waiting for the book to come out, the the layout, the production, all those elements, that's the, that's the hard part. And then everything that comes with it, you know, I think that's, that's the tough part. And then getting it out there and hopefully people like it. But yeah, I mean, there's a few stories I kind of, I'm trying to get for punkrockyfos.com. It's, it's, I don't want to give it away because I, I, who knows if I'm going to be able to do it. It's people that really have flew under the radar um, in terms of research that I think are interesting because of their background. And it may not even amount to anything, but that's maybe something coming soon. But yeah, like I said, you know, right now, I, I talked about this yesterday that, you know, we're, we're in the golden days of UFOs in terms of main, how mainstream media covers it. And, you know, a lot of these mainstream analysts and these big journalists are doing a lot of that the heavy lifting. You know, at the same time, you know, we have a lot of a lot of us and a lot of citizen UFO journalists and a lot of UFO advocates and social media. You know, that's a push as well. So it's like it's really, you know, it's coming from a lot of different angles. It's coming from the underground and it's coming from. The main trainers. So I think it's really cool. You know, it's a good time to be into this stuff because there's just a lot of content to digest. You know, there's there's so many TV shows and so many podcasts and there's so many websites and they're all great. Uh, I mean, uh, Jason's out here right now and you know Jason's website's amazing. I mean, he pushes out so much content every day uh, on Rogue Planet TV. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> had so, to put it. You know, like, you know, like uh, I was saying, there's just there's just so much. You know, so much great people doing great work. Whether it's on you know the blogosphere, social media citizen journalists, you know, or, you know, if it's the larger outlets too, there's a lot of work to be done. You know, that's not even counting, you know, what To The Stars is doing and these other small organizations that are kind of coming up too, you know, like UAPX and other ones. So it's like, it's cool. It's kind of like this little trickle. Something they talk about in, you know, comic books, like in Batman Begins, they talk about acceleration, right? The idea that, you know, Batman comes and then, you know, the, the, the villains are amplifying their game and you're kind of seeing that in UFOs too. You know, you're kind of seeing how everyone's kind of revving up you know, for whatever, whatever's coming and just pushing, pushing it forward a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very passionate, uh, field to be in. I mean, you have something like, uh, UFO Twitter being a thing now where like we never dreamed that we'd see the day where there'd be UFO Twitter. It's like just an amalgamation of everyone interested in the topic, uh, having really good discussions for the, for the most part. I mean, like other parts of Twitter, it's not always the best, but, um, like you mentioned, you've got civilian researchers um, writing some of the most amazing articles for mainstream outlets. We're not talking about people hired by Popular Mechanics or Vice or New York Times. We're talking about citizen journalists mm-hmm. writing such quality material that it's being published by these you know, very noted journalistic avenues. So um, I think you're right. I think it's an exciting time to be in this field. It's an exciting time in general for UFOs. And um, I I can't wait to see where it heads next. But um, before we go, Mike, you got to tell me, what is your connection with Pop Soap? What is this about, man? So I, I was thinking about unique ways. I mean, once again, you know, punk rock UFO is strange. It's such a small brand, I guess, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I have a friend of mine um, in Houston. They do uh, really cool uh, vegan health products like soap and body washes. And, and it's all pop culture themed. They do like a Star Wars bar. They do a Harry Potter bar. They do Halloween bars. And um, like, there's a really, really good people, too. You know, they work seven days a week putting out the product. They're at farmers markets. They're at conventions all throughout the United States, you know, selling their stuff. And they're good people. Like, they have a great product, good people. And I pitched, you know, hey, you want to do a collaboration? They're like totally down because they never had anything space or alien themed. So I basically told them what the book's about. We came up with this bar that kind of looks like the universe has like some pink and like gray squirrels in it. It's called Cosmic Cleanse. So that's just a little um, cross promotional thing we're doing. I know, you know, they reach a lot of people and, you know, on the 
label. There's just going to be kind of a, hey, go read the book too. And just a little something, you know, to kind of help cross promote. Cause I think that's kind of cool when you can do that, especially when it's like friends and it's people that you believe in their product and what they're doing uh, as well. So I think that's really cool. It's cool. I'm going to have like a soap based, a vegan soap based after, you know, loosely, you know, based after the book. Absolutely. And like you said, like writing the book is just half the journey. Marketing it and doing the business side after is a thing on its own. So I definitely commend you for thinking outside the box in how to get your message out there. And I think that's really cool. Um, In terms of thinking outside the box, you're working with a new publisher with Stranger Than Fiction. So what was it like working with Beyond the Fray Publishing? And uh, yeah, yeah. Are you excited to be uh, working with these guys? Yeah, so as soon as they announced that, uh, Shannon announced that uh, her and Jeff were doing their own book company, I was like, oh, this sounds so cool. And then as soon as I read the book, the Beyond the Fray Bigfoot, I was like, man, this is perfect. Um, and I was like, I, I hope they like me. I mean, I know, I know Shannon, and I'm like, I hope they like the book. I, I, sent, I sent them what I was working on, and uh, there's part of me that was confident. I'm like, you know, this, this is good, and this is probably unlike anything that they have in, in the, you know, in, in the works. But, you know, you never know, you know, you never know if it's going to be a fit or not. And I was ecstatic when they said they wanted to put out the book. And, you know, you, right now, everyone they've signed and you, you, uh, you're going to be involved uh, your next book as well. So I think I said this to you when I found out you were, you were putting a book after them, too. It's like, man, this is like cash money records of, uh, of weird right now. Um, yeah. But no, like, you know, they work really closely, you know, with the authors and they have integrity and. Yeah, I mean, once again, they're a really small operation, and the fact that they're, they're they're churning out books like every other week, they're announcing a new author and a new book, and it's really impressive because it's not easy to do. And I know the work that Jeff does and Shannon does; it's it's a lot. It's a lot of work. Um, yeah. So I'm really stoked for the for this to be the home of the book, and I know it's going to get the proper attention it deserves. And you know, it feels like a little family, which is cool. And it's always cool to have that you know, that community. Yeah. Yeah. They're very supportive. And I think you're right. I think they have uh, the best of intentions when it comes to their authors. And um, if anyone wants to go look at everything else they got over there right now, it's uh, beyond the fray publishing.com. Mike's book is dropping Tuesday, June 16th. Uh, where can we find the book, Mike? Uh, Amazon and Barnes and Noble, uh, .com, uh, print any book. And I believe eventually they're working on getting their titles, all their titles, audiobooks. Eventually, yeah, I think, yeah, that's yeah. Cool. I think they're, they're doing. I think they just did the audio for Beyond the Fray Bigfoot, but that's something I didn't even think would be possible. And when I first had the meeting with them, they're like, "Oh yeah, this is something we're doing." I was like, "Oh, that's really cool." Because somebody actually asked about that when I announced the book was coming out. Like, is it going to be an audiobook too? So that's really cool. Uh, but yeah, just the you know uh, Barnes and Noble and Amazon.com, which is basically you know a lot of the smaller publishers. That's how they go. It's basically people order their books online anyway. You know, it's hard, really hard to get physically in stores unless you're a major publisher. But so many of the, the, these smaller book companies, I think, are doing great work and putting out um, some of the best stuff out there. I mean, you, you look at um, what, what Jeff has put out on his own. Like, he's a he's a best-selling author as well. So it, it's very impressive to see the the range, you know, with your Barnes & Noble and Amazon, that smaller publishing companies and, you know, smaller authors like us that, you know, we can reach such a large audience of people. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, man. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people get worried about Amazon taking over everything yeah. and uh, Spotify taking over the entire podcasting platform. But, you know, there will always be independents out there. And I think that's where you get um, the true, honest stuff unfiltered. So um, I got to thank you for coming on today, Mike. The book was awesome, man. I can't wait to dive deeper into it. Again, the book is Stranger Than Fiction. This has been Mike DeMonte. Mike, thank you for joining me on Somewhere in the Skies. Thank you, Ryan, for having me so much once again. It's always good to be on and just talk to you in general because, you know, we don't live in the same state, so we don't, you know, we don't hang out. So, you know, it's always cool to uh, connect and stuff. So thank you so much. And I know your audience is great as well. I think you have such a a great platform. And uh, like you said, you have a really awesome, loyal audience, not just, you know, friends, mutual friends that we know, but just in general. So it's really good to kind of reach out to your audience and everything you do. So thank you. That is it for this week's episode. Again, my thanks to Mike DeMonte for joining us. Punk Rock and UFOs Stranger Than Fiction releases on June 16th. So be sure to get your copy over on Amazon or at beyondthefraypublishing.com. If you have a few moments, please subscribe, rate, and review Somewhere in the Skies on Apple Podcasts, your Android apps, or wherever you get the show. It helps us gain visibility and find new listeners. Thank you in advance. 
the store is open with all different items and designs. Head on over to tpublic.com and search for the Somewhere in the Skies store. That's T-E-E-Public.com. Follow us on Twitter at Somewhere Skies and on Instagram at Somewhere Skies Pod. The video version of this episode is available to watch on the Ryan Sprague YouTube channel. Make sure to subscribe and turn on notifications for our latest videos. If you would like to share your UFO story on the show, we are always taking submissions for our Witness Accounts audio series. These are the most popular episodes of Somewhere in the Skies, and it's your chance to share your story in your own words for a supportive and like-minded community of listeners. Use the contact tab on the website to discuss with me personally. Somewhereintheskies.com I'll see you here next week, and remember, keep your feet on the ground, but never stop searching somewhere in the skies. Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.